friends. Today we're going to be reading Psalms chapter 6. As always, before we begin, let us go ahead and pray over the word that we will receive today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the day that you've given us. Thank you for the people in our lives. Thank you for all the blessings you pour down in our lives. Lord, we pray for the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding to really grasp the word that we are going to receive today to be able to put it to work into our own lives, and to be able to share this with whoever needs to hear it. Help us to bear the fruits of your Spirit in all that we do, and allow us to be a beacon of light for your love, kindness, grace, and mercy. Holy Spirit, be breathed into us today, and help us to walk in your guidance in each and every step. Give us your discernment in all things, and help us to see the truth behind the message that we will receive today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this psalm is titled, For the Director of Music with Stringed Instruments, According to Sheminith, a Psalm of David. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. So that is the end of this psalm. So this psalm is known as the first of the seven penitential psalms, songs of confusion and humility before God. It was a custom among some in the early church to sing these psalms on Ash Wednesday, 40 days before Resurrection Sunday. The title of this psalm is To the Chief Musician with Stringed Instruments on an Eight-Stringed Harp, a Psalm of David. The title tells us the recipient of the psalm, the chief musician, whom some suppose to be the Lord God himself, and others supposed to be a leader of choirs or musicians in David's time, such as Haman the singer or Asaph. Not only was it written for stringed instruments, but specifically for the eight-stringed harp. So these first sentences, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Do not rebuke me in your anger. We do not know what the occasion of this song was, but because of his sin, David sensed he was under the rebuke of God. Therefore, he called out to God to lighten the chastisement. There may be times when we believe we are chastened by God's hand, when really we suffer trouble brought upon by ourselves. Nevertheless, there are certainly times when the Lord does chasten his children. Nor chasten me with your hot displeasure. We know that God's chastening hand is not primarily a mark of his displeasure, but rather it is a mark of adoption. Hebrews 12.7 makes it clear that chastening is evidence of our adoption. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there who a father does not chasten? 
When God corrects us, it doesn't feel pleasant, but it is good, and it is for our good. Anger, hot displeasure. Living before the finished work of Jesus, David had less certainty about his standing with God. On the side of the cross, we know that all the anger God has toward the believer was poured out on Jesus at the cross. God chastens the believer out of correcting love and not out of anger. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? I am weak, my bones are troubled. David knew the trial of physical weakness and pain. In the midst of this kind of chastisement, he cried out to God for mercy. So we may pray that the chastisements of our gracious God if they may not be entirely removed, may at least be sweetened by the consciousness that they are not in anger, but in his dear covenant love. My soul also is greatly troubled. David knew the trials of spiritual weakness and pain. The difficulty of these trials drove David to seek mercy from God. These trials of body and soul were amplified by David's sense of God's anger against him. When we are not confident in God's love and assistance, even small trials feel unbearable. How long? David sensed he was under the chastisement of God, but he still knew he should ask God to shorten the trial. There is a place for humble resignation to chastisement, but God wants us to yearn for higher ground and to use that yearning as a motivation to seek him and get things right with him. David seems to smart under the result of his sin more than the sin itself. Ideally, we are all terribly grieved by sin itself, but there is something to be said for confession and humility for the sake of our sins. Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave who will give you thanks? Return, O Lord, deliver me. In his agony, David pleads for deliverance, but on the ground of God's mercy, not his own righteousness. David knew that the Lord's chastisement was righteous, but he also knew that God is rich in mercy. The plea, return, also shows that David felt distant from God. This was part of the agony of the trial. When we sense that God is near us, we feel that we can face anything. But when we sense that he is distant from us, we feel weak before the smallest trial. Save me for your mercy's sake. The note of confession of sin is not strong in this psalm of penitence, but it is not absent. The fact that David appealed to the mercy of God for deliverance was evidence that he was aware that he did not deserve it. David's conscience is uneasy and he must appeal to grace to temper the discipline he deserves. In death there is no remembrance of you. It would be wrong to take these agonized words of David as evidence that there is no life beyond this life. The Old Testament has a shadowy understanding of the world beyond. Sometimes it shows a clear confidence, Job 19.25, and sometimes it has the uncertainty David shows here. Churchyards are silent places, the vaults of the sepulcher, Echo not with songs. Damp earth covers silent mouths. That's from Spurgeon. Second Timothy one ten says that Jesus brought life 
and immortality to light through the gospel. The understanding of afterlife was murky at best in the Old Testament, but Jesus lets us know more about heaven and hell than anyone else could. Jesus could do this because he had first-hand knowledge of the world beyond. David's point wasn't to present a comprehensive theology of the world beyond. He was in agony, fearing for his life, and he knew he could remember God and give him thanks now. He didn't have the same certainty about the world beyond, so he asked God to act according to his certainty. At rare moments, the Psalms have glimpses of rescue from Sheol in terms that suggest resurrection or a translation like that of Enoch or Elijah. That's from Psalms 16.10, and 73.24. I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of my enemies. I am weary with groaning. God's chastening hand was heavy upon David. His life seemed to be nothing but tears and misery. David's trial had at least three components. David felt God was angry with him. David lacked a sense of God's presence. David couldn't sleep. All night I make my bed swim. This is a good example of poetic exaggeration. David didn't want us to believe that his bed actually floated on a pool of tears in his room. Because this is poetic literature, we understand it according to its literary context. This is how we understand the Bible literally, according to its literary context. My eye wastes away. David's eyes were red and sore from all the tears and a lack of sleep. As an old man's eye grows dim with years, so says David, my eye is grown red and feeble through weeping. That's from Spurgeon. Because of all my enemies, David was brought so low that the presence of his enemies no longer prompted him to seize the victory. At this point, David seemed depressed and discouraged. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. It may be that the sin that led David into the chastisement was association with the ungodly. Here we see David acting consistently with his change of heart and telling all ungodly associates to depart. It is important to separate from ungodly associations. J. Edwin Ord describes some of the work among new converts in Halifax during the Second Great Awakening in Britain. Among them was a boxer who had just won a money prize and a belt. A crowd of his erstwhile companions stood outside the hall in order to ridicule him, and they hailed the converted boxer with the shout, He's getting converted. What about the belt? He'll either have to fight for it or give it up, the boxer reported. I'll both give it up and you up. If you won't go with me to heaven, I won't go with you to hell. He gave them the belt, but persuaded some of them to accompany him to the services 
where another was converted and set busily a working. The Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. David ended the psalm on a note of confidence. He made his agonized cry to God and God heard him. Weeping has a voice before God. It isn't that God is impressed by emotional displays, but a passionate heart impresses him. David wasn't afraid to cry before the Lord and God honored the voice of his weeping. Is it not sweet to believe that our tears are understood even when words fail? Let us learn to think of tears as liquid prayers. That's from Spurgeon. Once Luther wrestled hard with God in prayer and came jumping out of his prayer closet crying out, Vicimus, Vicimus, that is victory, victory. David had the same sense of prevailing with God at the end of this prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. David knew that when God heard and answered his prayer, it would be trouble for his enemy. David now saw that his temporary agony and trouble gave way to a permanent agony and trouble for his enemies. So that is the end of the article on Enduring Word. A lot of the times whenever I am depressed or physically exhausted, I feel like I can't go before God because it feels almost shameful that he's given me so many things in my life and I'm sitting here crying about something that's so trivial. And that, my friends, is the enemy at work. God does not want us to go through life like this. We are meant to spread his good word as much as we can. And when we're in this state of depression or sadness or exhaustion, we cannot spread that as well. So don't feel like you can't go to God. He wants you to come to him with these problems. The longer you stay out of prayer with God because of this, the longer you're going to endure this without God doing anything for you. You have to bring it to him and let him know what you want him to do for you. It is so small to ask for little things, but God doesn't care how little anything is. Bring it to him. Today, I experienced that at work. I prayed over something super small. I said, God, if this is the only thing that I get today, please just let me get it. And that was the only thing that I got that day, but it, I got it. God already knows that you are feeling what you're feeling. So don't feel like you can't go to him with it. And don't try to hide it from him. I hope that this message reached somebody that it needed to. I hope that you all have a beautiful day. And till next time.